Well, good morning. Wonderful. What a time of worship. Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ryan Graydon. I'm a member here at Stonebridge Church. I'm also uh, one of the acting elders at the church, and I'm uh, always eager to be somewhere where I can teach God's Word. And so um, this morning, I'm hoping that um, you here this morning, you have hearts uh, that are ready to see the Word, receive the words of God, and the teaching that is coming from His Word today. Now, as I often remind folks when I teach, I believe that this book, this Bible, is the ultimate authority, authority on our life and our life in Christ. And what this book teaches, testifies, that it's not a choice for us. Rather, it's a command that we're expected to follow no matter what the consequence might be. Its truth is alive and well, and we have to face a reckoning someday for our choices that were with what this book says or against it in our lifetime. We also need to remember that it was written by a holy God that will not be made into anything less than who He is, even though we sometimes try. We need to remember that our logic doesn't outthink His. We need to remember that His wisdom is sound and true and much better than ours. We need to remember that His Son, Jesus Christ, conquered sin and lived a perfect life when you and I couldn't. And if we forget or choose to avoid all those truths, then we can't really call ourselves followers of Christ. And yet my fear is that you and I spend most of our time each day living in this falsehood, believing we have the ultimate authority in our lives and that we have reasons to justify our choices and actions as if God might change his mind to understand our reasoning. I find myself thinking of these very excuses in my own life way too often. And it's truly scary how easily this happens. And if you're like me and would agree that you find yourself in those situations too often, let's today approach the Word of God with a heart of humility and be ready for what God would ask of us after our time together this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to open up to the book of Acts chapter 4, and as, as some of you might know, we've been going through the book of Acts, and up to this point in the story of Acts, there's been great community among God's people. There's been, there's been an amazing uh, thing happening where, where people are falling in love with, with who Jesus Christ is and the story of his life, his death, his resurrection, and as a result of that, There's unprecedented unity in God's people. But that's about to change. In chapter 4, verse 32, please read with me. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. I just want to stop there. One heart and soul. What does that look like? I don't think we can answer that question in our culture this day. 
But yet this body of believers, this body of Christ followers, the Scripture very quickly says right here, was of one heart, one mind, one soul. They understood what Jesus had done for them, and there was unity as a result of that going on. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Certainly not the picture of our culture today, even in the body of Christ. And with great power, the apostles were, were giving their testimony of the resurrection of Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. You see, the, the, the great power was not just some power. It was the Holy Spirit that was, that was upon the apostles, and they were spreading the Word of God. They were teaching the Word of Jesus Christ every day, every opportunity that they have, and things were changing. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. You see, people were giving of their excess. They were, they were sometimes not giving of their excess. They were giving of what they had because they knew that God was calling them to something bigger. And, and you see, they were so full of Jesus that these things didn't matter anymore. They were willing to just give them up freely and, and give them to somebody who could distribute them wisely. The apostles had that standing. They had that trust with the people. And, and you see what God is doing in this bunch of believers. Verse 36, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Scripture doesn't say it was for recognition. Doesn't say he wanted people to think he was a good guy. He had this property And he wanted to sell it and give it to the apostles so they could distribute it. Chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of it for himself. And brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? to the Holy Spirit and keep back part for yourself of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Do you hear that? The apostles are going, look, it's, you, you haven't just lied to us. Almost like that's a, that's a minor thing, but you have lied to God. Verse 5, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last breath. And a great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose, wrapped him up, and carried him out and buried him. After an interval, about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what has happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, without hesitation, yes, for so much. 
But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together with your husband to test the Spirit of the Lord? Again, Peter's going, Really? You want to go here? Do you really understand what you're doing? Behold, the feet of those who just buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Something changed in that community because of sin. A ripple effect began. What a harsh ending to a sinful choice. Would you agree? Just when everything seemed to be going well in this body of believers, sin enters in in what I think is kind of a passive manner and causes a great consequence and a righteous fear in the believers surrounding this event. As well as us, hundreds of years, thousands of years later, if you aren't rolling through your list of actions in your present past or distant past to make sure that you too won't suffer the same punishment, I'm not sure you are in tune with the severity of this passage right now. When I first read this, that's kind of what I started doing. Jeez, God drops dead two people for that? I better take note. What have I done? My question to all of us this morning is this, though. What are the values of our lives? It's a good question to ask yourself every once in a while. What are the things that we value in our lives? Now, I'm sure some of you might respond to a list Similar to this one. You see, we might put family on that top of that value list. We, we value our spouse, our husband, our wife, our children, our siblings, our parents. You know, family is great value. There's nothing, nothing to deny about that. You might have your health. I hate being sick. Ask my wife. I'm the biggest baby. But when you have good health, it feels good. And when you look at a, a life of, of horrible health, that's not something that we're eager about. And so, absolutely, we value our health. We value a job, an income, a way to pay your bills. Some of you might not like going to work every day, but still you cannot deny that, that that's got some value in your life. Our faith. I would, I would guess most people would say their faith is at the top of that list. They believe in something. Now these, these might be the top of the list um, that we would answer that question with, but I'm sure that there are things that would even extend that list a little live, things in our lives that, that, that we value, um, such as vehicles. You know, expensive, collective, something that we admire. You know, bottom line, a vehicle gets you to places, so it's got value. Money undeniable that our culture and even we in the church value money 
You know, it solves and calms financial fears. It, it, it does help with a lot of issues in our lives. You want to build a retirement, right? Heirlooms, things that have been passed down from generation to generation. Hobbies, I'm sure most of you might have hunting on the top of your list like me, right? No, okay, well. Vacations, traveling, relaxing, stepping away from the routine, a time of relaxation. Again, retirement. I am, I am looking forward to retirement. It's far away, but I'm looking forward to it when I get to choose what I want to do every day. The truth is that we as earthly humans live very materialistic lives. And if you say you don't, I would argue that. Most of us cherish certain things that if we were asked to give them up for some reason, we would do so very reluctantly. Or, or we might even put up a fight to hold on to these things. Our hearts have, for some reason, latched on to these things as if our lives depend on them and we do not want to let them go. Why? At the beginning of this passage, Luke, who is, who is thought to be the author of this book, shares with us through his writing a thriving and exciting body of true believers. He, he shares with us in the chapters previous how their lives look, what they are doing for the sake of simply the knowledge of the gospel. And the passage says right here in the beginning, right here, all the believers were of one heart and one mind. You guys, that's amazing. This amazing unity isn't experienced in common situations in our culture at all. But let me put it in perspective. Something that we might understand. You see, I'm an Iowa State fan. And I know some of you out there think that might be a sin. But you'll have to show me in Scripture where that is, all right? But regardless of whatever, you, who, whatever team you cheer for, if you've ever been present in a large stadium, or watching on TV when your team is, is down by just a few points and the clock is ticking down, there is an amazing wave of unity that happens as you join the thousands of others that are cheering for your team. You see entire bodies come alive and convulse with encouragement. Voices become louder as each member of this crowd or people in front of their TV yell encouragement and advice to their team that is on the floor or on the field as if they could really hear you. Am I right? The unity at that moment is unbelievable. And it causes this feeling in our hearts and minds that, that we don't get on a regular basis. It's something that can be easily contagious if we allow it. That's what's happening here in this body of believers in Acts. There's an excitement in the understanding and acceptance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message has been shared, it's been explained, and it's been accepted fully by a good group of people. And they are truly understanding and living it out, what it means to follow Jesus. The Holy Spirit has affected and infected their lives to such an end that their hearts and minds are unified with God and what he is calling them to do. And Luke, in the book, writes of the results of this. In verse 32, it says to us, 
No one said any of these things belonged to him. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving the testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person. Did you hear that? There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold and, the apostle, and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. I listened to a sermon on this passage by John Piper. And he made a statement with this sermon that really stuck in my mind. And I shared this with the team, the worship team this morning. But Piper said there's two effects of believing in Jesus. Two things happen when you have a, a belief and a depth like this. He said the first thing is the heart is loosened in its relationship to things. When you have an understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you understand what he did for you, the heart begins to, to loosen its ties with things. And he said the second effect is it, it begins to tighten its relationship with people. It loosens its relationship with things and tightens its relationship with people. Piper's right on in the observation of Scripture here. When we see this community grow closer in their understanding and intimate relationship of Christ, their hearts and minds are filled to the point that they don't need anything else in their life. God has provided for their basic needs. And the extras that they would normally cling to do not matter anymore. The believers then take steps to give those things to those who need it more. There's an overwhelming feeling of joy and happiness here. Who who wouldn't want to be a part of that? They get it. Now some people in our culture would argue that this is a prime and great example of a socialistic society, right? And how things could work if everybody would just take care of everybody. We've heard that. But this is not what's being taught in these verses. This is not a political point that the Bible is making for us here. What we are seeing is not politics. It's the effect of a relationship with Jesus. A true understanding and conviction of the heart. Not a heart that wants to be noticed. Not a heart that wants recognition for what they're doing. They desire only to please God with their efforts. It's an outward and public demonstration and confession of their faith. But then, as always, where God's people are flourishing, sin is on the move. And we see what sin can do to a perfect situation. You guys, I don't think we realize how dangerous Satan is sometimes. And you better believe where there's good happening, he's close behind. 
we see after Joseph, also called Barnabas, sold a field and brought the proceeds to the apostles' feet. And he did this in an act of obedience in the gospel to Jesus Christ. And Ananias and Sapphira decided to do the same thing. And from the looks of it, their desire was sincere like Barnabas's was from the outside perspective. As the passage reveals, the hearts of this married couple, they weren't right. They were deceiving. They challenged the purity of the gospel for personal gain and benefit. And these two were hoping for recognition and praise, probably from the revered apostles who were leading this monumental change in the community, as well as the community members around them. They had very different intentions in what they were doing. To understand and follow the gospel, it means a full and complete surrender of your life and all that God has given you. And when we feel the weight of what the gospel has done for us, we should, in response, be willing to give all that we have in appreciation and thankfulness for our salvation and the grace that abounds to a repentant heart. Let me put it this way. An understanding, a true and sincere understanding of the gospel is much like a person who might need a life-saving transplant. Let's just say, for example, it's a heart that they need. And the only way that this person is going to live a long and healthy life is if somebody else dies. And in a moment when somebody who is waiting for that, life looks dire, dark, dim, Somebody calls and says, we found a heart for you. You're saved. However, it's at the expense of somebody else's dreams, their relationships and hopes for a life that they thought they were going to have. And think of the people who might have helped Make that decision to give you this heart. Their loved one's heart would go on and use so you could live, knowing that the person they loved would die. What would your feeling towards them be like? If that was me, I would I would feel like I owed them everything. I'd be willing to do anything for this family for the rest of my living life. This body of believers in Acts understood the gospel to that extent. They understood the consequence of their sin. They understood the penalty that Jesus paid, the penalty that he didn't have to pay, and they responded rightfully to it. You and I should have the same response. And thousands of years shouldn't change that. The deceit in Ananias and Sapphira just wanted people to see their action. However, the truth of their hearts 
could not be hidden from a holy God. It's funny, though, that we think we can sometimes hide our true intentions from the Almighty Creator whom Scripture says sees all, knows all, and will judge all. As if our reasons or justifications make sense to Him. You see, God, we withheld some of this money because we weren't sure what the stock market was going to do and we wanted to make sure that we were taken care of in the future. Um, But if others knew that, they might think bad of us. So I know that we said we gave it all, but really it was not bad to make sure that we were taken care of too. You understand, right? As if God would say back to us, Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I'm sorry. I get it. Never mind. Wrong. Wrong. God does not work that way. He does not bend to our reasoning. And our reasoning most times is very flawed. Our hearts are evil when it comes to the things that we value, and we do not often give them up freely as God might call us to do. In most cases, we bring, we begin to reason why we should retain them and why we deserve them as if our reasons are better than God's. Now, I'm not saying that God is expecting all of us to go home, sell our houses and cars, the rest of our possessions, and write a check to the church, that would be awesome. I'm sure we wouldn't turn it away. But in most cases, that's not really what this passage is teaching us. You see, God is calling us to lead with our hearts in all that we do. To be right. To be honest. To be examples. If we have excess and there are those in need, if God calls us to it, get rid of the excess and give generously. Care for God's wishes and God's people as He has cared for you. God could see right through the hearts and intentions of Ananias and Sapphira. And when they were questioned outright, they chose to step into another sin and lie about their actions. God quickly and deliberately dealt with their habits of sin and took their lives. I almost wish the Bible would have given us the the possibles of this situation, but it doesn't. I wondered, what if the couple had come clean? I'd like to think that God would have mercy in that situation. Or what if they had said from the beginning of this process, hey, we're going to sell this land and give this much of the proceeds, but we're going to keep the rest. If they were honest like that, would their giving have been received without consequence? We'll never know. But what we do know is that these two thought they could cover up their true intentions to a God that is more powerful than they could even comprehend, than you and I can even comprehend. 
And because he is just, he followed through with the penalty of sin. We all know that Scripture says the penalty of sin is what? Death. We know that. He could see the true identity and intentions of their heart and knew that their sinful existence had to be ended. And he took an action that he rightfully decided on as punishment. So what are we hiding from him? What are you and I thinking that he can't see? What sin in our lives are we thinking that we can justify as if he could see our reasoning? Do we truly think that when we meet him face to face, and I promise you, all of you will, we would have a logical explanation to say to him, Hey, Jesus, I know that you told me to do this, but you could see how important it was to me, and and I know you understand that so. As if he'd say, oh yeah, I get that. Don't worry about it. Never mind. That may work with others around us here. I know I've pulled that here. But it will not work with him. He will not change his mind in those situations. The death of Ananias and Sapphira was shocking and harsh, but there is no arguing that it was just. We can't say anything against it. The example that was made to those who witnessed it was that God is loving, but he will not tolerate sinful, deceiving hearts in those who follow him. There is no exemption to that. And we need to begin to live our lives in the truth that always has a healthy fear of a righteous God. So where does that leave you and I? That's the question. What stirs in your heart as we've discussed this passage this morning? Are you and I being real with ourselves? Are we being honest to God. Is our heart in the right place as a Christian? Are we truly willing to sacrifice all that we have for the sake of a relationship with Christ? What are we worried about? Will God strike you and I dead? I hope not. But who knows? I think the real question that we need to answer here is this. Are we full in our relationship with Christ? Are we full in our relationship with Christ? Are we truly filled with God's Holy Spirit so well that we would desire joyfully to do anything that God would ask us to do? Not for the recognition of man, but rather the recognition of God and God only. Are we so in love with our Savior that this life is truly just a moment in passing and a step to eternity with Him? Does that truth affect us so well 
that we desire to be honest, to live lives of transparency in order to honor him? What is the extent that you and I are willing to go? And really, where are you and I at now? For me, honestly, before you guys, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I feel that I have much further to go in this than I'd like to admit. I too often covet the things of this world. It's easy. But it's also a painful reminder when I sometimes suffer the consequences of that. I know that I should be filled with the fullness of a relationship with Christ and not desire anything more, but being honest, I'm not. And I'm not proud of that. Therefore, by the grace of God, I'll just continue to follow the conviction of the Holy Spirit and strive to get there every day. Knowing that God is gracious is really not an excuse for my faults and follies. Knowing that he'll forgive me if I ask is not a reason to continue on in that manner. It should, however, motivate me all the more to know the fullness of Christ and desire to serve him with everything that I have. To die a poor man But to fill a life, live a life full of Christ might be the greatest achievement in this world. Knowing that I will inherit the kingdom in the presence of the one who created me, I pray that would be the goal of our hearts. Let's pray. God, it's a heavy passage that you've presented with us this morning. It's heartbreaking to see what happens sometimes when sin enters a perfect situation. But Father, it's a gentle reminder to us that you are just, that you are real, but you love. So God, this morning, let us not forget that that even amidst this story, you still love us and you're forgiving. And I pray that we desire to know you more, deeper, every day. In Jesus' name, amen.